The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the fifth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Be seated. Some of you, well, maybe about three of you, will perk up when I say this, and others of you will kind of uh, glaze over as I say this, but in either case, as this mo- sermon was coming together this week, I realized I was getting about as deep into theology as I really have maybe ever gotten in a sermon. I said, hey Siri, what is theology? She said, hey P. Raj, my daughter programmed my phone. She said, hey P. Raj, theology is the systematic study of the nature of God and of religious belief. Thanks, Siri, I said. You rock. I don't think so, she said, but I can be helpful. Goodbye. (laughs) What can I say? My wife was gone all week. I started talking to my phone. I also, some of you may or may not have heard, I am sick when she leaves me. I'm sorry, I got a cold while she was gone, so I told her I can't be without her. We're going to dive into some theology today, um, some talk about the nature of God and of religious belief, even though many suggest, and I actually agree with this, that by and large theology um, should should inform and undergird a sermon rather rather than being the actual content of a sermon. I actually believe that. But I'm making an exception to the rule today because starting last week, continuing today, continuing for a few more weeks, we're spending some time with, with the first third of Matthew's uh, presentation of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. And this chapter, uh, though it was one of Luther's favorite chapters in the Bible, Matthew chapter 5, if you don't listen to it with good theology, spiritually speaking, it'll kill you, which I happen to believe is what Jesus had in mind when he spoke these words, knowing that some in his audience to whom he was speaking had the poor theology of the God knows I'm better than you other people, Pharisees and scribes. 
So here's some good Lutheran theology, which I kind of hope maybe, you know, sounds good and good for you. Luther said that God's word always addresses people in one of two ways, law or gospel. And you can tell the difference between the two ways in some ways by, by their content, what their words are, but in more important ways by how they function, by what they do to you. Gospel. The word literally means good news. Its content is often found in the language of promises, which function as gospel when what they do to you is lift you up, sustain you, encourage you, create and sustain faith and love by telling you of the faithful and loving things that God has done for you. When someone leaves and says, Pastor, that sermon was exactly what I needed today. It just, it just lifted my heart. What they're saying is, I heard gospel. Law. Its content is often found in the language of commandments. Commandments which guide our lives by telling us what to do. Commandments which constrain us in our lives by telling us what not to do. That's part of the law. But the law also, Luther said, functions, this is what it does to you, it functions to sniff out our sin and in doing so, not encouraging us, but accusing us. An example, someone will say to us something that we should do or, or something about something we did, and we feel accused. And we say, well, you're not the judge of me. You're not the law of me. As soon as it starts coming at us with law, with commandments, inevitably, we start to feel judged. Lex semper Accusat was one of Luther's recurring phrases in Latin. The law always accuses. Here's a real-life example, not that I've ever experienced it. You're driving along when in your rearview mirror you see a police car closing rapidly and lights flashing. And what do you do? You take your foot off the gas... And you check quickly to see if you're speeding. And you do this even if you're not speeding. Because why? Because lex semper accusat. The law always accuses. Still with me? Good. We're going deeper. If you're driving, the sight of that police car almost invariably functions as law. Right? Accuser. How fast am I going? But if you just heard a noise in the house and you dialed 911, the sight of that very same police car is gospel. Good news. Encourager. So, too, Luther said the very same words in the Bible, no matter what they sound like or look like, the very same words in the Bible can function as either law, accuser, or gospel, encourager at the very same time. Biblical example. Last week at worship, 
the Beatitudes, the opening words to the Sermon on the Mount, the first Beatitude, the first sentence in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Very good news, right? Beautiful, sweet gospel, encouraging news, right? Well, yes, if you are poor in spirit. But what if you're not? What if your spirit is proud? Then the words, blessed are the poor in spirit, don't encourage you. They find your sin. They find your pride. They find your self-sufficient, not need for God, and they accuse you of it. That beautiful promise, blessed are the poor in spirit, finds, sniffs out, hunts for, barks at the sin of the proud in spirit. Still with me? Sometimes God's word doesn't address us as law or gospel. Sometimes it speaks simultaneously as both law and gospel, as both encourager and accuser, as both savior of the poor in spirit and judge of the proud in spirit at the very same time. Now, if God's purpose for the gospel is to encourage, lift up, give faith, give hope, save you with the good news of what God has done for you, what is God's purpose, God's good purpose for the law? And by the law, I mean God's law. Words like, remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. What's the purpose of God giving us those laws? Well, here's where Jesus and later Luther saw and confronted the people in their day whose poor theology gave an absolutely upside-down answer to that question. Why did God give us the law? Their upside-down answer was to say that God gave you the law so that you have something to obey, something to do, to earn your way into God's good graces. And therefore, finally, Well, eventually, turn your way to heaven. The law, they said, is something you obey, and thereby you are saved. The law shows you how to be good, and then by your goodness, you become loved by God. And guess what? If you do something not good, well, we have more laws for things for you to do because you weren't good, so that by doing those things, now you, by what you do, by what you do, earn your way back into God's good graces. My systematic theology professor and mentor, Gerhard Ferdi in seminary, used to say, he used to call that a laddered theology. He used to give examples, but not by wearing one of these, for goodness sakes. A ladder theology, which says that the law is kind of like a ladder. And it functions, it functions to kind of measure the distance between us and heaven. In fact, it functions to 
bridge the gap between us and heaven. And the purpose of the law is for me to obey these commandments and to do good things so that I get there and also so that I I get better and better at being good and gooder until, by the way, I smile because I just noticed this. Uh, I'm a lot higher than you people. Right? I mean, this is the purpose of the law. I just, <laughs> wow, this is just delightful. I'm, I'm, uh, I mean, righteous-wise, you can see this too, can't you? I'm, I'm better than you. Can you see that? The problem with the law as, as, a, as a ladder, well, there's all kinds of problems. One of which is, it just about inevitably degenerates into that I'm better than you, you loser, uh, religion. Which you see all over the place. And generally it's somebody's judgment of you because they've done some things that you haven't done. Religion at its worst. I'm better than you because of all my goodness. Another problem with that law as the ladder thing is that, of course, the law was never meant to be a ladder that gets you closer to God. For one reason, it's just silly. I'm thinking of the times when I've flown and flown over the Rocky Mountains and and I look down at those mountains from 35,000 feet. They don't look all that mountainous from up there, do they? I mean, from 35,000 feet, it's kind of nice to look at, but they're really just kind of glorified undulations from that height. Now put the ladder of goodness in one of those valleys of one of those mountains. And find that person, if you can, that person who's three steps up on the ladder and he's talking about how much gooder and goodness he is, how much closer to God, how much closer to you he is than the person who's at the bottom of the ladder. I mean, it's silly, right? Let's look from farther out. Not from a plane at 35,000 feet. Let's look from a seat on a throne beyond the edges of the universe. And there she is, three steps up on the ladder, telling the guy down below her how closer to God she is, how better she is than him because of her three steps up. Can you see the silliness of it and the sadness too? As she sits on the top of her little ladder and judges those who are three feet below her and are oh so not close to God like her. It's just plain silly. In the presence of light years of distance, her three feet or so of goodness and self-righteousness means nothing. In terms of her closeness to the unfathomable goodness and absolute righteousness of God. The law, thought Luther, it functions on one level just to kind of order us in our lives on kind of a civil level. We kind of need some order. But theologically, Luther thought, and he cited verses from Matthew 5, the law isn't a ladder for me to climb up to heaven. The law isn't a ladder for me to climb and then compare myself to the righteousness or by and large the lack of righteousness that I see in you folks who aren't climbing as well as I'm climbing. The law, Luther fell, is a mirror which shows me me compared to the righteousness of God. And guess what 
in that mirror, I see that that idea that I have that I'm three steps higher than you and therefore way better than you and way closer to God than you, you loser, is just so much theologically sad silliness. Because compared to the full righteousness of God, the righteousness God is righteous with, nobody's close. To Matthew 5, some folks just refusing to let go of their theology and religiosity of ladder climbing, thinking that Jesus, they think that Jesus came, because of course that's, we can't get there, they think that Jesus came to soften the law, that Jesus came to make the ladder shorter, so that now, at last, we who know full well that we are better than other people, Now, at last, Jesus has made the ladder climbable. We can now be saved by our climbing because Jesus made the ladder something I can do. Matthew 5, 17. Jesus said, "Do do not think that I've come to abolish the law. I've not come to abolish, but to fulfill Truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. In case that's not clear enough for you, let's just skip ahead to the last verse of Matthew 5, which we'll get to in a couple of weeks. Matthew 5:48. Jesus said, "You must be perfect." As your Father in heaven is perfect. How's that perfect thing going for you? Do you feel the law now functioning? The way law functions when it speaks in its fullness, do you feel it now functioning to accuse you, finding, pointing out, pointing a finger at, judging you for your oh-so-not perfectness? Is the way out, the way back to feeling good about myself, to tell Jesus that he's not the judge of me? Luther thought, and now that you've got a solid Lutheran understanding of law and gospel, you might understand why he thought this. Luther thought that Matthew 5, with its unbelievable, unattainable definition of the perfect righteousness which Jesus the Son tells us God the Father demands, Luther felt it was one of the most beautiful chapters in the Bible. Because he came to understand that the measure of righteousness here described is not a ladder for us to climb and go find God. It's a mirror which calls us to our knees where we now at long last poor, not proud in spirit, we realize our absolute need for the forgiving grace of God. 
the God who in Christ did not sit in heaven hoping we'd climb all the way to him, but rather, rather left heaven to find his way all the way to us and to be what we could not be, perfect, and to be so for us. And to do so completely perfectly, of course, he would ascend, not to the top of a ladder, but the top of a cross, that we might know that we are drawn close to God, not by climbing better than others from our sin, but by the forgiveness of sin. Not ours by right, but by grace, by gift. I did not come to abolish the law, Jesus said. I came to fulfill it. said that at the beginning of his ministry. And all the way to a cross near the end of his ministry, he would do exactly that. And he would do it for you. He also, in our text for today, gives you, gives us all, his own command, his own law. Did you hear this? Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to you. Oh, wait a minute, bad translation. Let your Good light shine, Jesus said, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. It's a verse we repeat every time we we have a baptism. And Deacon Pam has this wonderful tradition, which I'm going to keep doing for the rest of my ministry. I'd never even thought of it before. But she sees that the candle that we give people when they're baptized, and we say those words, that candle is lit at the exact moment that the waters of baptism are poured out on the now baptized. That candle reminds us that the light we are called to shine with is not our light. It's the light that's shown on us, the light that was given to us as a gift in the waters of baptism, which is to say we are reminded that the light we're called to shine with is not our light at all. It is rather the light of he who is the light of the world. Which is to say that Jesus commands you to shine. It's not to shine with the light of those who climb ladders to high places and then point a spotlight on themselves to shine with judgmental and hypocritical self-righteousness. It is rather light which is a reflection of he who with ladder-toppling grace reaches to our lowest places, reached to your lowest places, and will continue to do so, to shine with grace and mercy and forgiveness and above all always with love. You are not called to shine with light so that all can see how great is the greatness of your personal love for Jesus. You are called to shine with light so that all can see how bright is the love of Jesus' love for all. You, and by you, I mean all of us, are called to shine with light so bright 
That it's Jesus who is seen and his love for them which is seen. Love which never reaches with more passion than it does when it's reaching to those who are at the bottom of the world's ladders. Who are on the outside of the world's walls. Who are on the downside of the world's riches. Who are on the wrong side of the world's judgments. Sisters and brothers, the world, the world is a world that is oh so God so loved. Go. Go shine with light by shining with Jesus. Which is always to say, by shining with love. Amen.